So good to see you today. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free, and it's great to worship together. Uh, wonderful worship this morning, and looking forward to today's message as well. Hey, I want to let you know, over these past couple Sundays, we've uh, handed out a couple little resources, and uh, just a reminder on those, if you go through these exit doors, you'll see a Sunday to Everyday booth, and at that booth, if you haven't yet picked one up, you can pick up one of these prayer cards. As we're praying over these icons you see back here, the icons represent our everyday rhythms, our home, our neighborhoods, and our workplaces or schools, praying over those everyday rhythms and those areas of influence that you and I have, asking God to make us more aware, asking God to make us more compassionate for those around us, to soften our heart, and asking God to make us bold. And so we're spending a few weeks doing that as part of this Sunday to Everyday Initiative. If you don't yet have that card, that's been part of my daily prayer, as I know, as it, ha as I know it has for you as well. Uh, last week, we handed out these verse key cards, and I can't tell you how encouraged I was as a pastor here to see that all of these verse key cards were taken. I didn't expect that, but it was really, really encouraging because basically what this is is a simple method for Bible meditation and memorization. You take a single verse and perhaps you meditate on it, you memorize it over the course of a couple weeks, and there's ten verses on this key card that represent the nine fruit of the Spirit as well as the key verses from Galatians 5, 22 and 23 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So if you don't yet have one of these, if you missed it last weekend, you can get it through this door at the fruit stand. Ha <laughs> ha. And uh, we will meditate on those verses together and grow in them over the course of these next nine weeks. One of the more encouraging verses in the Bible to me as it relates to our study today and the fruit of the Spirit comes from Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 11. And uh, Jesus is teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and he's given us a direction on how we would pray. And he concludes his message on the Lord's Prayer with these words. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids. Like, I don't really want to be called evil, anyone else? But Jesus calls a spade a spade. Jesus is this rare and great teacher who speaks with love all the time, and yet at the same time, he also speaks with honesty that we all have some, some ugly stuff in our hearts. I do. And so he says, if you then, though you have some ugly stuff in your hearts, you know how to give your kids good gifts, don't you? How much more so would your Father in heaven, who's far greater, who's far more loving, give you the Holy Spirit if you just ask them. Wow. What a verse that is. How much more in quality would the Father in heaven give to us the Holy Spirit if we ask them? In this series, what we're going after is more of the Holy Spirit's power, which we are dependent on to give us the fruit of the Spirit that we would look more and more like Christ ourselves. We noted last week that we are both responsible for spiritual fruit in our own lives and we are dependent on God's Spirit to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. 
So again, as we pray to God, would you give me more of your spirit? It's not we're praying that God would give a greater quantity of his Holy Spirit. We, ha we have all the Holy Spirit that we'll ever get the moment we trust in Christ. Amen? We have all the Holy Spirit that we'll ever get in that moment. But we can have more of an experience, more quality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Then using this analogy that this is what we do and here's how we're dependent. We are responsible to put the sailboat out on the lake and then put up the sails. If you don't do that, the boat's not going anywhere. But likewise, unless the wind comes, the boat isn't going anywhere. And the wind is the Holy Spirit in our lives that enables us to be what we could never do on our own. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, come. We want more of your Spirit to guide us. There is effort that we must put into the spiritual life if we want to become great spiritually. Like, duh, right? You've got to put effort into it. But baseline, we are constantly dependent on the Spirit of God to give us the fruit that we long for. Now, you know, thinking about these fruit, we're not going to become all of these at once, are we? We're not. And so it's wise here on the front end for us to acknowledge that and say, right now I really want to work on self-control. Or right now I really want to work on peace or on patience, whatever it might be for you. I can tell you during certain seasons of my life, I focused on patience for two years at a time. And God in his grace made me a more patient person. I focused on self-control for 18 months at a time. There's different fruit of the Spirit that you focus on depending on where you are in your life right now. If you go out for the track and field team, you don't begin with javelin, the hammer throw, discus, uh, the 5K, and the sprints all on the same day, do you? You go after one at a time. You, you learn one activity at a time, and you grow in that, and so also he would do for us. Today we're going to focus on the fruit of the Spirit called peace. Somebody give me one of these if you want some more peace in your life. Okay, come on. I see just a few hippies with me in the audience. All right, all right. All right we're not going to go after peace in the world today, though we would all like some of that too. But we're going to go after inner peace today, which we all want more of today, don't we? Okay, I heard a few of you. We all want more inner peace today in our lives. Are you with me? Yeah, we all want some more inner peace in our lives today. Unfortunately, the scriptures are replete with beautiful passages on the power of anxiety, the power of worry, and the gift of God, which is peace, to overcome our worries. You know, Wikipedia defines anxiety as being vexed and confused, all contorted and tangled up inside, kind of like this slinky. I could only find a little bitty slinky here this morning in my kids' old toy boxes. But it's, it's like this, all vexed and confused, contorted and tangled up deep within our spirits. That is to be anxious. And we all have anxiety from time to time, and we all hate anxiety when we have it. Anxiety is this thing that is very, very intense for many of us. There was a study done in 2011, though, that indicated Americans' number one daily temptation is anxiety. 60% of Americans said their number one daily temptation is anxiety and worry about the future. One out of eight American children today could be clinically diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. That's just one out of eight right now. That'll change over the course of time 
more than that will experience it over the course of their lives, but one out of eight right now. I'll stop with the statistics on worry. I don't want to make you more worried. <laughs> but it's something that we all experience, and it's something that we hate. It's understandable that we experience it to, to a certain degree because there's a lot of ugly in the world, isn't there? And yet, fortunately, God would give us some tools to grow in peace. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4, and we'll look at one of the classical passages on growing our peace. It's one of my favorites in the scriptures. If you have it on your phone or on your tablet, that's fine as well, but I'll be reading out of my traditional Bible. We'll also have it up on the screen. Philippians chapter 4, it's back toward the back of your Bible after 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, then you come to Philippians. If you flip to Colossians or Thessalonians, you've gone just a little bit too far. Go back to your left. We got it? Philippians 4, starting at verse 4. This is the Apostle Paul writing to us from a jail cell. And here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Whatever you have seen from me or heard from me or learned from me or received from me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace shall be with you. Father, as we begin this message, we confess that we would all like a little bit more of your peace. You are the God of peace, and we want you to be with us. We want you to grow us in peace even today. God, we surrender our anxieties to you this morning. We confess that uh, many of us have come into this room even today, and we are worried and troubled about many things. And we need some more of your peace. So, Father, would you please come and meet us here? We invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us once again, that you would remind us of your power and your presence, and you would teach us a few things that we can do that we are responsible for, for growing in peace with God. We love you, Lord. We give you ourselves this morning. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You know, it's probably helpful to ask at the beginning of this message, where does anxiety come from? I would say anxiety comes from probably at least four sources, at least that I've seen in a lot of people over the years that I've seen in myself. Number one, we need to note first and foremost that probably for many of us, anxiety comes into our lives through the amount of media and social media intake that we have. We live in a day where we have far more media intake than anyone else has ever had in all of history. You think about how it was maybe a hundred years ago. People still had great heartache and great worry about the kinds of things that happened in their village, but they only knew the things that were happening in their village. They, they only knew about the heartache of the 100 or so people around them in their small community as word got around. 
We know about the heartache of tens of thousands, perhaps even hundreds of thousands of people around us every day, all day. And the news media today goes by the dictum, if it bleeds, it, it leads. If it bleeds, it leads. And so you turn on the national or international news, and you know you're going to be bombarded by any number of different stories that will be heartbreaking and anxiety-producing. That freckle on your forearm might be a time bomb. Tune in for more at 10 p.m. Like, this is the way it's done in our contemporary newscasts. That's part of our anxiety. Second, our psychological makeup. Some people just have a psychological makeup that makes them more prone to anxiety than other people. And much as I mentioned last week, some of us have a psychological makeup that makes us a little bit more prone to joy and others a little bit more prone to melancholy. Some of us are more naturally like Tigger and others of us more naturally like Eeyore. And that's okay. There's no demerits if you're more naturally like an Eeyore, but you still can grow in joy. And so also some of us are more naturally worried about many things. Other people are more carefree. Are there any mothers in the audience that would say some of us are more worried about some things? Like some of us are naturally just more worried and that's okay. That's not bad in itself. Now sometimes a third cause is our spiritual enemy. Some of us are worried, some of us are anxious because we simply do not have our guard up right now against a spiritual enemy to our souls whose name is slanderer and accuser. Okay, we have an enemy to our souls who is a liar and does all that he can to come after the children of God, that's you and me, and lie to us, blame us, slander us. So do you ever have these tapes running through your mind on rewind that go like this? I'm worthless. I'm inadequate. I'm never good enough. They'd probably be better off without me. That's the enemy slandering you. And you need to name it. Or perhaps you might have a tape going through your mind that says, God doesn't really care about me. If God cared about me, then this wouldn't happen to me. God's not going to be there for me in the difficult times. What if, what if, God won't come through? And that's the enemy slandering God to you. And likewise, in that case, you need to rebuke that lie and send it back to the pit of hell where it belongs. Okay? You, you do. This is part of our daily practice to rebuke lies, slander, and accusation that comes to us. Finally, some of our worry comes from our choice to be worried. Mmm. Got quiet in here. Some of our worry comes from our choice to dwell on the bad stuff, comes from sin. The choice not to trust in God for our future, but to worry about the what-ifs related to our future, and our peace is stolen as a result. Now, I don't believe that all anxiety is sin. I think I probably used to believe that. I think I used to preach that, and I feel sorry for those people that I preached it to. I don't believe that anymore. Like, I used to believe that we could be like this ethereal nothingness in the sky, just kind of loosey-goosey about everything that happens down below us. 
That's probably not the case. Jesus seems to have something that's kind of like anxiety in what is called the Garden of Gethsemane. Just before he goes to the cross, you might remember, he gathers his three closest friends near to him to pray with him. And they go to this beautiful garden, they sit underneath these olive trees, and his friends fall asleep on him. And Jesus is praying, and he's praying so intensely as he's looking at his pending crucifixion. And he knows what's about to happen to him. He's about to go to the cross, and he doesn't look forward to it all. And his heart is overwhelmed within him such that his drops of sweat were like drops of blood, and he's overwhelmed with concern. Perhaps we might even call it worry. I'm not sure, but I know that he did not sin in that moment. And so you also can be very concerned about something that could be happening to someone that you love. You might be very cautious making wise decisions because you know this world is a dangerous place and we are wise to lock our doors. All of that, a mother's concern over her kids for their future is a good thing that by itself is not sin. But listen, listen to me. Some of us have moved beyond good and careful caution over the line to sustained worry. And some of us today are living in worry. And Jesus does not want that for you. He doesn't want us to live in the what-ifs of the future. He wants something better than that for us. Listen, in this passage, the beautiful promise is this. God offers to exchange our anxiety for his peace. God offers to exchange your anxiety for his peace. There's three simple words that I need you to remember today. Three simple tools that you are responsible for. As you are dependent on the Holy Spirit every day, you're responsible to do these three things if you want to grow in peace and fight off that beast called anxiety. Rejoice, release, and rest. The first one is this, rejoice every day. Sixteen times in this very short letter of Philippians, Paul uses the word joy along with its derivatives in these four chapters to the Philippians. Did I mention that he's writing from a jail cell? And he says again and again, rejoice. He's there because he's been falsely accused and falsely imprisoned, and he's sitting in a joy cell, in a jail cell, but he's making a joy cell, okay? <laughs> he's still making it a joy cell as part of that jail cell. We give thanks constantly. He says this, rejoice in the Lord. In case I wasn't clear the first time, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. What reasons do we have to rejoice, my friends? So many. He chose to make you. You're not an accident. You're beloved by God. He is sovereign over your life. He cares about your future. He's got a hope and a future for you. He loves you so much that he will never leave you or forsake you. Though we fail many times, though I failed on a couple significant occasions this past week in my thoughts and in my words, he's forgiven me again and again. Though I failed, he chose to go to the cross for me. Though you failed, he chose to go to the cross for you. Though we failed, he fills us well with the Holy Spirit, and he will never leave us. He's given us this church. He's given us our families. He's given us our friends. He's given us our bodies. He blesses us. Do you rejoice every day? Do you rejoice every day? 
I mean, we get in this habit as people of dwelling on the ugly. Man, you show me someone who chooses to rejoice. You show me someone who has contentment because they rejoice and because they grow in peace. And you show me that person who has joy and peace, I will show you a Christian who is making a difference for the kingdom of God Monday through Friday. Because every person you meet is longing for more of these. Joy and peace. Contentment is very close to thanksgiving, to rejoicing, to giving praise to God each and every day. And we all have something Life can be really hard for us right now, but we all have some things that we can rejoice over today. Second, we need to release our cares through the instrument of prayer. Release your cares by prayer. We're invited by God to turn our cares over to his capable hands through the gift of prayer. God has instituted the gift of prayer as one of the primary means for loving his children. Sometimes we have a mistaken view, a mistaken philosophy of prayer, Sometimes we mistakenly think of it as a 30-second thing that we must do, that we are obligated to do before we fill our bellies. It's not that at all. Prayer is this beautiful gift by which we are invited into the presence of God, and he chooses to turn his ear to us and listen to us. When we truly pray to him according to his will, he bends his ear to us. I mean, it's, it's a benevolent act of love by the sovereign creator to choose to listen to us when we bring our daily needs to him. And as he attends to our prayers, we find he is able to take the heavy weights of life off of us and put them in his capable hands. We release our anxieties by turning them over to God in prayer. And then God gives us peace in exchange. It's really interesting to me that Jesus just invites us mostly to pray for today. He didn't really invite us to pray for tomorrow. You remember in the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us this day our our daily bread. And some people we know have to pray for physical, literal, daily bread, and we pray for those people. People in Bahamas right now that we're praying for, that they would have daily physical bread. But also, we desire the daily bread of peace, don't we? And that's okay to ask for the daily bread of peace on an everyday basis. Jesus invites us to pray for the daily bread of the fruit of the Spirit on an everyday basis. You think as well of the way he put it over in Matthew chapter 6. He says simply, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So just focus your attention on today. If you're worried today, perhaps the starting point is this. Stop and pray for today. God, give me this day the daily bread of peace. Help me to live in the here and now. I wonder, uh, those of us in the room who are over 40 years old, do you remember those old box TVs? Yeah, yeah a couple of you do. <laughs> Some of y'all still have them. <laughs> there you go. I'm with you, brother. <laughs> and those old box TVs, sometimes the early iterations of them they didn't even have remote controls. 
They had a dial up on the upper right side of the box TV. And if you go way back to the kind of TV that my family had, it just had three channels. You remember that? Okay, raise your hand if you remember that. All right, all right, you're with me. All the young people, wow, it's ancient days. And channel one was like maybe NBC, channel two ABC, channel three CBS. I don't know. But life is like that. There's just three channels. Channel one is the past. And there's some good stuff in your past. And it's fun to reminisce on those good things sometimes. And I like to go back and reminisce from time to time. But I'm telling you what, if I spend too much time in channel one, it is not good for me. Because I got some bad stuff in my past too, and it's not good for me to dwell on that. Otherwise, I'll feel shame and guilt that's already been forgiven by Jesus. Now, most of us lose our joy because we step over to channel three. Channel three is the future. And channel three is the channel of what ifs. Channel three is the channel of what might happen tomorrow, which I have no control over whatsoever. Channel three is the channel of doubling your troubles because you're not focusing on today, you're focusing on tomorrow. And unfortunately, many people are living in channel three and they're losing their joy and peace as a result. Where God wants us to live, where God wants us to spend most of our time is right smack in the middle in channel two where there is peace. So what are the disciplines that you bring into life by which you're able to meditate on Christ and release your cares to him by prayer for today? I'm grateful Brian just mentioned cave time and Jordan mentioned cave time over in the venue as well. That's been a wonderful means for many of the men of Carney E. Free to learn to develop their own cave, not just for doing their own thing, but for meeting with God. And as they've learned to meet with God in their cave, many of the guys have learned how to surrender their cares by prayer through the discipline of journaling out their anxieties to God and asking him to take them. What a beautiful discipline that is. That's not a feminine thing. That's not a masculine thing. That's a wise thing. We have prayer partners here on Sunday mornings, in part because when you are riddled with anxiety, if you're anything like me, you can't even come up with the prayers yourself. When anxiety floods our minds, it's hard to even think about what we should pray for, and that's why these prayer partners are available. I would hope that our life groups, here on Life Group Sunday, perpetually become more and more places of safety and transparency, where it's okay to be vulnerable with each other. Where men can divide into male-specific groups, and ladies can divide into female-specific groups, and they can be vulnerable with one another and pray with each other over their anxieties or whatever other issues that they might go through, and they know there is safety. This is one of God's most gratuitous gifts to us. One of his best gifts to us is this, the promise, you give me your worries. I will take them and give you peace in exchange. Now finally, Paul tells us this. Not just do we release our cares by prayer, not just do we rejoice every day, but also we need to rest in beauty. We need to pause and rest in what is good and in what is beautiful. Like, I don't mean to pick on world news so much. I don't mean to pick on the internet and social media so much. 
I just noticed that they steal a lot of people's peace. And so, like, if you tune into the world news tonight, whenever that is, that you flip it on, or you tune into cable, news show of some kind, let me tell you, I do not have the gift of prophecy, but I do have the gift of prophecy on this. This is what you will get. You will get 10 minutes of nonstop violence, followed by 10 minutes of nonstop commercials, mostly from pharmaceutical companies, telling you what you should be worried about followed by five, five minutes of dramatic weather stories and many updates about global warming since yesterday. Followed by about 90 seconds of a good story to make you all warm inside about a new litter of kittens. Like, that's what you're going to get. And that won't do it. Our culture dwells on ugly what do you do to dwell on what is beautiful? Three weeks ago, as we were heading into the fall, I, I always want to go into the fall with a full tank of gas. I don't know about you. Things slow down a little bit over the summer in a church, and so as I go into the fall, I want to, I want to go into a full tank of, of gas. Uh, this summer, things didn't slow down for many different reasons, notably the floods. And I went into the fall, and my my heart and my belly felt kind of like this. And so I did what is part of my routine. On an annual basis, I go away for two or sometimes even three days to have a private retreat with God. And over the course of two or three days, I plan for 2020, the next year, plan for sermon series, and just beg of God, would you please reveal a good word to me for our church for the year to come. And I pray for my family and pray for our staff, and I pray for you by name. And over the course of a couple of days, I asked God to get me right, get me in a right place for ministry again. And again, my, my, my heart was just kind of overwhelmed within me, and I was in an ugly spot, and I was anxious, and I was irritable, and I said, God, you, you need to do some work in my heart as we go into this fall, because things are not right in here. I even confessed to our life group, to be honest, right now I look in the mirror and I don't really like what I see. And... Uh, so I went away to this beautiful spot called Camp Kamika. And Camp Kamika is south of Kozad, and you can take a little hike up to this point called Inspiration Point. And I was on Inspiration Point looking over this beautiful Midway Lake and the stream that came out of it, and looking down below at my feet, these beautiful butterflies landing on the flowers and then flying away, and then looking up at these hawks circling overhead and hoping they didn't think I was food. And then I was just compelled by the beauty all around me to worship and sing songs and rehearse verses and pray to God and give thanks for his beauty. And after being in that moment for 20 or 30 minutes, there's this cross right next to that point, and it's this old, rugged, rugged rough-hewn cross. And it's, it's not finished in a beautiful way. It's kind of like a Roman cross would have been. It would, it, it's ugly, but it's beautiful. And I looked at that cross for four or five minutes, and I continued to pray and give thanks to God. And it sounds kind of odd, but there was something inside of me that compelled me to turn over to that cross and to hug it. And I just hugged it, and I began to weep for four or five minutes. And I came off of the cross, and I started to sing a little bit more, and I, I felt compelled to go back and hug it again. And then there's this beauty that came over me 
that though I am a sinner, Jesus, the most beautiful act in all of history, died for a selfish sinner like me. And I sat in that moment and, and prayed to God and gave thanks to God and sang to him a little bit more. And can I tell you, in 60 minutes of dwelling on what is good and beautiful, my heart got untangled. My stomach got untangled. And I moved back into the rest of life with the strength and with the peace that I simply did not have a day before. How do you dwell on beauty? You have to be committed. You have to set aside time. You have to determine a habit of the soul to dwell, to chew on, to meditate on what is good. I'm ask the worship team to come forward and just listen to the way the Apostle Paul concludes this message. It's so profound. He understands that back in the Roman Empire, it would have been really, really easy for him to dwell on what is ugly, just like it's really easy for us today to dwell on what is ugly. And so the antidote for that is what he says here. Finally, my brothers and sisters, finally, whatever is true, Whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, set your mind on those things. Chew on that which is beautiful and lovely like a dog gnaws on a bone. Chew on that which is gorgeous around you. Focus on what is beautiful in your family. Focus on what is beautiful in your church. Focus on what is beautiful in God's gorgeous creation around you. Meditate on the cross, the most beautiful selfless act in all of history. Dwell on the scriptures. And the God of peace will be with you. I'm not making light of your troubles today. I know your troubles are real. And I have them too. But we have a choice each day. We have a choice to rejoice in good things that God has done. A choice to rejoice in who He is. And that's ours. We have a choice to to stew in our anxieties and live in the what-ifs, or we have a choice to surrender them to God. And we have a choice to follow the world around us, to walk with the crowd, and to live in slander and live in gossip and live in all of the ugly that is presented to us from the news and social media. Or we have this choice, to dwell in what is beautiful and lovely. And God in His kindness will change us as we do. To him be all glory and praise. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us in a place by ourselves, that when we are stewing on worry, you don't want us to stay there. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us Jesus, and Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance.
We thank you, Lord, that you offer to take away our anxieties over the future, our shame over the past, and give us your peace instead. Oh, we praise you. What a good God you are. What a good God you are. You're kind. You're a loving and merciful God. And we thank you, Lord, that we can have peace in your presence because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Makes me think of that beautiful word in Romans 5. Since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it really all starts there. So Father, we thank you that we can have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we have faith in you, as we trust in you as our Savior and as our Lord, we can have peace with God. I wonder if there's anyone in this room who doesn't actually know what peace with God is because they simply have not surrendered their lives to Christ by faith. That's where it begins. You won't have peace until you have peace with God. Do you need peace with God today? Are you in a spot today you have not actually asked him to reign over your life, to give you forgiveness, to be Lord in your world? If you're there, just raise your hand and say, I need you today, God. Whoever you might be. Thank you, sisters over here on the side. Thank you. Raise them high. I want to pray for you, sisters. Thank you, too. Thank you. Thank you. If you're just in a spot right now that you say, I am overwhelmed by anxiety. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm overwhelmed by anxiety. I want to pray for you right now as well. If you're in that spot, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. Thank you for your courage, my friends. Oh, Father, I I pray specifically, Father, for these friends who have had the courage to raise their hands. I don't know what it is they are going through right now, but God, you give us a peace that passes understanding, and I ask that you give them that that perhaps even in this moment they would look up at the cross. They don't need to look at me. They don't need to look at any person around us. But they would look at the cross and they would realize Jesus died even for me. So your past doesn't define you. And God will be there for you in the future and you can trust in him for that. And Father, would you begin to give these friends your strength and your peace and would you begin to give all of us the courage to rejoice in you daily, to dwell on what is good and beautiful and pure. We love you, Lord. We thank you. You give us the gift of prayer and that you are here with us and for us even today. All glory to our God in heaven. God's people say, amen.